On October 1st, 2017, the church I grew up at closed its doors for good. And it was a very, very sad day for me. It's where I spent my childhood. My dad was the senior pastor there. He was bivocational. He was a high school teacher and the senior pastor for most of his career. And my dad was a pastor there for over 30 years. And attending that service and understanding that that our congregation, the congregation that I love, that influenced many, many lives, where people there came to faith in Christ, were sent out to do work all over our nation, our world. And even though it was a small little neighborhood church, the fact that it died remind me of what we're talking about today, is that if we lose the next generation, the same thing can happen to any church in America. I don't care how big it is, care what it's doing eventually if you lose that next generation your church will cease to exist at some point in the future and today what we're talking about is students and the church our students leaving the church what does that mean as we try to engage the next generation we've been looking at some of the numbers we've been talking with some people we've got a great guest today we're excited to have you join us as we continue to talk about this idea our students leaving the church i'm jeff eckert i'm jason brewer And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. We want to thank you for joining us for another episode of The Thought Factory. We are on YouTube, so if you find us under Thought Factory Podcast, you can subscribe and follow our behind-the-scenes episodes or any audio that may not make it in the podcast. We are also on Instagram under a personal account. And I don't think you've ever publicly mentioned yours, Jason. Are you keeping it from us? Yeah, I I never publicly mention it. Are you going to? Well, I don't really use it, so why would I mention it? Well, I'll mention mine. It's at Jeff Eckert, J-E-F-F-E-C-K-A-R-T where I post pictures of myself, Jason, and some of our guests and what's happening here on the podcast. So you can check that out. Our last episode was an interview with Kara Powell. Very, very fascinating stuff. And our next episode will pertain to the families. We've got some fascinating information to be sharing about students and family. We talked to them about, for example, how many, how many times they sit down and eat a meal with their family do their, does their family have any intentional rhythm of spiritual conversations? And we were pretty fascinated as we dug into the numbers. We can't wait to share them with you in the next couple episodes. Hello. Jason? Hello, it is. Hey, Jason. Hey, Darren. How are you? Hey, how you doing, man? Good. Our good friend Darren Campbell. Darren and I go way back, and actually Darren was really... The catalyst for NTS Camp, which is part of our organization. If you listen to this regularly, you would know that. So, Darren, we're glad you're here. Give us a little bit of your background in, as we're talking with youth workers here, give us your background in your relationship with students and ministry. Sure. Well, it's kind of funny. The first person I met when I came to visit college was Jeff Eckert. He actually picked me up at the airport in one of those like kind of visits. I flew down to to go to school at Indian Wesleyan. And, and I don't know if you remember that, Jeff, but you picked me up. So I you, totally uh, remember. Yeah. So it was a fun, uh, it was a fun trip. And I ended up uh, leaving my hometown up in Woodstock, New Brunswick, Canada, and going 1200 miles to uh, Indiana Wesleyan University and studied business and marketing. And then God called me in the ministry. It was a 
funny thing. God ended up calling me in the ministry, and I ended up um, following that call and actually ended up becoming a, a youth pastor for about seven years and uh, loved youth ministry and then got into church planting and kind of became a bivocational pastor where um, uh, I kind of teach lay people how to church plant and actually have a, a another full-time job. And um, we kind of do a bivocational church kind of planting model. So um, our church is called Exit 59. Uh, Exit Church, exit59church.com is, um, is our website. But um, we actually planted a church between uh, a couple Christian universities, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University and Taylor University. And uh, the idea was to plant a church where lay people would do the work. And um, uh, lay people would learn uh, how to plug in their gifts and manage career, family, and um, we 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 uh, train up lay people to go out and church plant. It's a little bit of what we do. So, Darren, you and I in our in our close friendship, we talk quite often. And one of the things that you talk about a lot is just how you feel that the baton needs to be handed off to young leaders within the church. And talk about that a little bit. Well, about your feelings on that and what you're you guys are doing. Yeah. So you know, when I was a youth pastor. Um, kind of funny story. Sometimes kids would invite us to come to their school for lunch. I don't know how many youth pastors still do this, but back in the 90s when I was in youth ministry in the 2000s, that decade, it was kind of popular to go and have lunch. And I mean, middle school, high school lunch, I mean, I've never had spaghetti and milk together except at a middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Awful lunch. But you'd sit down and, you know, some, some of your leaders would invite you and then you might meet some of their friends. But man, oh man, it's awkward because people are like, "What? What is that adult doing uh, in you know sometimes these little chairs and and this weird meal? Like you just you feel like a fish out of water." And I think the intention is, "Hey, we want to connect and you know and and meet people." But you know there was one school in kind of our neighborhood, and they wouldn't allow me to come. Um, uh, evidently, at one time. Uh, a youth pastor had come in and stood up on a table and started, you know, preaching and uh, kind of really disrupted the lunchroom. And uh, they said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. So, um, you know, I couldn't go to that, um, that lunch. So kind of the epiphany I had was, uh, you know, youth group for me was, Hey, we had some worship. Maybe we played a game. Uh, We had a teaching time. We had a prayer time. Maybe we showed a funny video or, or, you know, whatnot. Maybe there was a sketch or, you know, a skit or something. You know, we would kind of program out different things. But usually it was like myself and other adult or college leaders doing all that. And really when youth ministry really took off for me, it was when I started giving the service away to the students. And what I reasoned was these students are actually in their school every single day and the school administration can't keep them out. So if I could actually teach them more of what I did, I don't even need to go have school lunch with them. They actually are the hands and feet of, of Jesus, and you know they're going to connect with their friends. So what we started like, you know, um, we bought a video camera and we bought a Mac, and you know had you know basically free video editing software, and some real creative kids would go around and they would shoot these really funny videos. Well, they would shoot videos of their friends. But then I found that they would invite their friends to come to youth group to see the video. So we had all these new kids coming because they were inviting them to see what they had put on. And I was like, wait a minute, how far can we take this? 
So we uh, we gave students leadership in worship. We gave students leadership in you know making the videos. And eventually, and I wish I had done this more, but I eventually I even let students teach. And of course, when it when a student was going to teach, literally fifty of their friends would show up for youth group because they'd want to come and support their friend and hear what they had to say. And when they taught, it was so much more powerful than when I taught because there was an expectation that I was going to you know share the gospel. But when one of their peers was sharing it, it was really powerful. So what we started, we said, okay, well, let's do a leadership team and let me disciple and develop a team of leaders. And then let me give the youth ministry away to them. So the actual service, they put that on. And I really just kind of became a behind the scenes coordinator. And uh, our youth group just blew up uh, because these kids were inviting their friends to come see them, you know, basically do the church. That happened in youth ministry, and that was kind of like a secret that I think the Lord helped me stumble upon. And and really, the paradigm shift, guys, was that why can't young people do the actual work? I mean, uh, the shift for me was I have to do this for them or to them, almost like I have to entertain them, I have to disciple them, I have to evangelize them. And it shifted to let me invite them into the work. And why don't they do the work with me? And then actually, why don't I get out of the way and just let them do the work? What would that look like? You know, the fear is it's not going to be very good, right? Um, Maybe they're going to say the wrong thing or they're going to have stage fright. But the reality was just the opposite. They they really leaned into it and it gave me a chance to connect with them one-on-one and help to mentor them. And I, I, I wouldn't say that we hit it out of the park every week, but we're where these were amateurs learning how to do this work. And that was on the one end, the other end, they had so much credibility with their friends and peers. I think it, it far outweighed um, their inexperience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amateurs is a word I know you use a lot in a, in a positive way. And talk about, talk about the culture that you've seen a lot of churches and what you've yep. done to tackle that head on with the larger body we're talking about adults you're a senior pastor talk about yeah. that I heard I don't know if it was Barna or someone had a statistic that said that 50% of all Christian college graduates were not attending a local church upon graduation and that was shocking to me I was just like how could that be you've spent all of this money and you've had four years or maybe five of, of intense focus at, a, at an evangelical college or university, and then you're not even going to church. And kind of we kind of leaned into that, and I think there's probably a number of reasons, but I think one of them was that when they, they returned to their existing church, um, the adults in the congregation didn't see them as peers or didn't see them as adults. They still saw them as kids. And, you know, kind of the analogy I use is like, it's like driver's ed. I mean, when you take driver's ed, uh, the goal is to drive a car. You want to actually drive a car. That's why you take driver's ed. No one takes driver's ed just for the intellectual exercise or for the fun of it. I mean, they intend to get their driver's license, and they actually intend to drive a car. And, you know, when you first get your license, I remember the first day I got my license, I almost hit a car. Uh, I pulled out on a stop sign too early, and there was a car coming, and they had to slam on the brakes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was almost in an accident day one. You know, and I'm sure many people, they do have an accident day one. But the reality is you're never going to be a good driver unless you get behind the wheel and actually drive the car. And you're going to start fairly mediocre, and then you're going to improve over time. I think the problem with with churches today, in part, 
when it comes to young people, when they return, they've been told in college and university that they're going to drive the car. And when they get back to the church, the pastors, the, the, the elders, even their parents, they're trying to put them back in the back seat. Sometimes they're trying to put them back in the car seat. They're glad that they're there. They're glad that they're at church. They're glad that they're back, but they're not giving them any meaningful uh, tasks or, or ministry experience. Um, they're not making the A-team, if you will. And um, I think they get bored and they get disenfranchised. So when we started our church plant, we said, man, what if we let amateurs do everything? What if we let college students preach? What if we let them lead worship? What if we let them serve on the board of elders? What if we let them in children's ministry, youth ministry? What if they did the outreach? What if we created almost like an experimental church, if you will, where amateurs could come in and they would actually do the work of the church? And our thinking was, if you don't fall in love with the local church while you're in those formative years of, let's say, high school through college, why do we think that you're going to all of a sudden get excited about it later on in life? Mm -hmm. So the way to fall in love with the local church is the way the rest of us have is we plug our gifts in and we use them. And, and there's got to be like a, a, an element of grace and tolerance for a level of amateurs. And um, I, I think as we have kind of raced towards these really amazing worship services with really timed out schedules with really professional bands and really amazing speakers. And we really chased kind of this awesome production. We've left a lot of amateurs on the sideline. And I just think about like, if Jesus really wanted it done really, really professionally, he just would have done it himself. I mean, he started out using a bunch of knucklehead amateurs. Um, and it was his pleasure to invite his children into his work. I don't think he's afraid of amateurs. I think, in fact, he wants more of them. And I think the church we've kind of raced towards a really professional, polished service or, or worship experience. And at our church, we're just the opposite. We want, we want to bring amateurs up. We want to help them discover their gifting. And then we want to throw them behind the wheel of the car. And we want to let them drive. And sometimes they drive in the ditch. But our congregation has tolerance for that. And we love them. And we gently kind of curate this kind of opportunity for them to figure out their gifting and figure out their place in the church. And then guys, they fall in love. They fall in love with the local church. And once you're in love, you'll never leave. As a youth pastor and in youth ministry, even currently right now, one of the analogies is funny that you're talking about driver's ed that I use is I consider myself as a youth pastor, like the driver's ed instructor. I was in the passenger seat and the, the driving instructor and the program I went through we got to drive, but there was a break over on the passenger side that the instructor always had his foot ready to go. So if something <laughs> did start to derail, and yeah. that's how I think about it too, is when you're working with students, let them drive. And that doesn't mean, yeah. you know, it can crash and burn. You can be there to make sure that nothing really catastrophic happens. But, yeah. but I really, Darren, I know you've led by example, and I know that personally, and I've I follow your podcast at Exit 59 and your leadership and, and again, with our friendship. But one of the analogies that I really love that you use is talking about the restaurant. Yeah. And talk about that. I think the church, if I, if I went into a typical church, it feels like a really great restaurant. And I think that's maybe the ambition of the church. They want to come in and feed people the word. They want to feed people the gospel. They want to do uh, discipleship really well. They want to do evangelism. They want to they want to mentor young people, uh, children's ministry, every, everything. So many churches they go to, they're great. I mean, they're just 
on point. And it's just a really great restaurant. And then other people say, hey, you should come to this restaurant and eat. And it's kind of created this kind of consumer relationship between the church and the congregation. And I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think the church is a restaurant. I think the world is the restaurant. I think the church is the kitchen. I think we're not teaching people how to cook. We're just feeding them. And then they're going out in the world and they don't know what to do. And so so the whole goal has been to bring people back into this building so that we can tell them things in this building. And I think if our goal is to get people back into the building, we're spending so much resource, A, on the building, and B, on bringing people to the building, when C, people are just living life amongst their neighbors, uh, at work, um, on the athletic field, um, you know, in their neighborhood. If we put the emphasis on the church as being a kitchen where we teach people how to cook, and if the restaurant was actually the world, the cooking happens Monday through Friday, not on Sunday or Wednesday night. The most of the most of the feeding should happen out in the workplace, out in the world, um, out in the in the high school, in the middle school. That's where the ministry happens, not in the walls of the building. It's not like there's this sacred and secular thing. It's all sacred, man. And and the the church should be a place where we're teaching people. And of course, don't get me wrong. I want to evangelize within the walls of the church. But I want 95% of the work to be happening outside of that service time on Sunday morning. I want it to be happening the rest of the week. Uh, C.S. Lewis had a quote. He said, every encounter I have with a person, I have the opportunity to bring them closer or farther away from Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, we're all pastors. We're all missionaries. We're all on mission. And most of the uh, prep and most of the ministry happens outside of the walls of the church. And frankly, it happens with lay people. How many people come to faith from a coach or from a Sunday school teacher or from a coworker or from a parent or from a camp counselor? And then how many come from a professional pastor or missionary? You know, when I ask that question in a large room, 90, 95% of the people have come to faith through lay people, through amateurs. And it's happened outside of the church. And I don't think God's unhappy with that. I think actually that that's, he's really pleased with that. It seems like the last 20, 25 years, we have thrown most of the resources at programming the daylights out of a building and trying to draw people in from our communities into that building. What if we just flipped that? And what if we just trained lay people to be out in, you know, basically their place of work or their school or whatever? And we gave them the tools to actually share their faith outside of the building. I think that's a striking perspective because you are relying on the chef when you go to church to provide exactly what you need. And instead of becoming the chef or becoming the cook for other people to feed, to, to bring the good news outside of that restaurant, quote unquote. Um, but many times when we, we have the perspective of the church being a restaurant. We're, we're looking at going, well, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to make this meal yeah. for somebody else. I don't, in my interaction with my neighbor, I don't know how to bring them to a, yep. a conversation that even relates to faith. So I, I need to invite them to this place so that yep. the pastor, the professional can do it. And they'll, they'll come to that restaurant and then they'll listen to the pastor and go, that was great. But I don't have any relationship with that pastor. So it's not going to change their life. The, the interaction that we have with our neighbors, our friends, our family on a day-to-day basis, that's what's going to change 
other people's lives, not necessarily listening to a good sermon. So let's just play this out because you're absolutely right. I think most people, even pastors, are afraid that their people aren't properly uh, prepared for the kind of questions they're going to be asked. And and so, you know, first of all, the Great Commission says go make disciples, right? So mm-hmm. let's talk about discipleship. So um, I'm a lay person, and I go to Jeff's church, and Jeff uh, calls me and says, hey, listen, don't be afraid to tell your story. And I show up at work. And I tell my story to a coworker, let's say over lunch, and I'm talking just about how I came to faith and what I believe. And then my coworker asks me a question, and I don't know the answer. Guys, you know what I say? I say, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Hmm. But then I go back to the person that's discipling me, my spiritual father, my spiritual mother, my mentor. And I say, hey, Tuesday at work, um, my friend asked me this question. I don't know the answer. And let's say Jeff says, you know what? That's a really great question. I don't know the answer. Then Jeff goes to his wife, Ariana, and Ariana says, Jeff, let me tell you the answer, because of course, Ariana knows more than Jeff. And so Ariana gives Jeff the answer. Jeff gives me the answer. I go back to work and I give my coworker the answer. Guess what? Three people got discipled in that process. Hmm. We're not looking for efficiency here. We're not looking for the fastest way to do it. We're not looking for one chef and we build a really big restaurant to bring them all in. That person puts a big target on their back. The enemy says, if I take that person out, the whole thing crumbles. We want inefficiency. Guys, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was efficient. Jesus curses the fig tree, and it withers. That's efficient. If Jesus wanted efficiency, he would say, let the world be restored, and we would. He's actually taking the slowest route by using his church to actually fulfill the Great Commission. If you think about it, he's taking the slowest possible way by using us. It's almost like intentionally he wants amateurs in the work. And and just asterisk, don't get me wrong. I still want ordained professionals leading this thing. But what I want to do, I want to engage people outside of the church where they're not really thinking about it, where we can have real conversations about faith, create space for people to ask questions, And I want lay people to not be afraid of the questions, but I want to have a network where they can connect back to people that are discipling them. And then they can actually get real questions answered. And then that will flow back and forth, you know, into the population, if you will. It's flipping the switch in a lay person's mind to say, I am I am capable. I'm allowed to actually do this work. What I find with young people and even middle school and high school, but college age and then adults, a lot of times they have an expectation that this is the pastor's work. Uh, this is his or her work to do. And so my goal is to just bring people to kind of the feet of, of, of the pastor. When we actually give them permission to do the work, they get really jazzed about it and they get really excited. And, um, you know, when they actually have a breakthrough and then the Holy Spirit actually works through them, and they're actually able to share and people respond. I mean, they get lit up, man, and and church dramatically, um, uh, the value of it goes up in, in, in their life. And I was going to say, I've, I've lived this out as a youth pastor for, in several instances in my role as a full-time youth pastor in the past, I was challenged because I led very much in this same way where I was releasing and equipping volunteers, but more importantly, students to, to do the work and and so I was challenged by fellow staff people, other colleagues, even people above me at our church saying, 
you know, what are you doing here? And, and my role was, Darren, very much the way you talked about earlier, and that's the way I perceived the lead was I led from a, more of a behind-the-scenes role many times because when you saw the energy, like you're talking about, and the passion of these students and, and adults as well, begin to to really flourish and light up because they were able to get involved. There's something really unique that happens. And I can tell you in my travels, when I go and I visit youth ministries, I can tell you if they're more quote-unquote professionally led or led by amateurs. And when they're led by amateurs, there's so much more life and vibrancy and passion and excitement. And when I see them led by the professionals, it's much more of a laid-back atmosphere because people aren't nearly as engaged because it's being done for them. And I think that is, when we're talking about students in the church, that's so critical for us to understand that when we're working with students, we got to begin that process now of getting them involved and understanding that. And so practically, if I was a youth pastor today, I would say, okay, let's say our our service is on Sunday night. I would take a group of leaders that I'd identified. And on Wednesday, I would sit down and I would give them roles for the Sunday night service. And I would, I selected, obviously you want to select gifting. You want to recognize gifting in people. But I would let a person teach, and then I would personally disciple that person and work with them on their sermon during the week. But then I would let them teach. I would let uh, students lead worship, and if it wasn't me, I would have a worship leader work with them during the week. So there's the discipleship happening, and then the primetime service, if you will, where they invite all their friends to come watch them. Um, I would stand back and watch it happen. The next week, I would then tweak it. I would give them good feedback because you just don't want to throw them in the deep end of the pool and say, swim. I mean, you want to actually disciple them in this and help them walk in their gifting. You want to be in the passenger seat while they're driving the car. But if we do that, if we're willing to give the wheel away, if we throw the keys to this next generation in our local churches, they will be mediocre at first, but they will rise up and they will grow and they will learn and they'll be the next generation of church leaders. If we don't, what's going to happen to the church? Um, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. We have overworked pastors that are burning out, and we have not properly prepared the next generation, and uh, we need to get on it to young people. That is excellent, man. So good. Thanks for uh, your passion and your example. Thanks for you guys for inviting me, and thanks for what you're doing. And uh, everyone listening, man, uh, love youth ministry. It's, it's the lifeblood of the church. So huge admiration for people, youth workers, and and folks that are um, working with this next generation. Well, thanks, Darren. Thanks for your insight and your perspective. Love it. Hey, guys, this is Joshua Liggins, former youth pastor, now current school teacher in South Florida. Hey, this is for parents. If you're a parent and you're seriously looking for ways to help your child mature into faith, please consider partnering with Never the Same. From their Bible engagement series to their nationwide NTS camp, these guys are absolute trailblazers for growing students in the faith. Check them out. So that was such a great conversation with Darren. And I want to share some things from my heart because in my experience with youth ministry over the last 25 plus years, I've seen some some changes that really do concern me. And one of those changes happened right around the time of 2008, 2009, when the the Great Recession began to really impact the economy here in the United States. And ironically, that's when I founded this organization, Never the Same, back in 2009, really right in the throes of that recession. And something began to, to
to drastically change with local churches around the country. And even since then, I've asked and talked to hundreds of people about this in all levels of leadership, national, all the way down to local. And what began to happen is churches began to shift their budgets and give much uh, less resources to their local youth ministries. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in many cases what we find statistically is youth ministries began to shrink in attendance. And that has had a dramatic impact on several other things as well. So what I've seen is a lot less hiring of youth ministry staff at churches, a lot less resources in their annual budgets, which in result has has impacted uh, not just attendance for their local church youth group, for example, but things like trips and resources and scholarships and other things as well. And so with that cut in resources, we've seen a lot of ripple effect from that. And I remember Dave Ramsey once, I think in one of his books I was reading, talked about he was at his local church um, annual meeting and they talked about their emphasis on children and youth. And he piped up in that meeting in public and said, well, that's not the case. I'm looking at your budget numbers and you're not investing much in your students and in your children. And I think if you go to the budget numbers, what are we spending per adult and what are we spending per student? So if you're listening to this and you're in the professional world of youth ministry, if you're on staff at a church, I would encourage you to look at your budget numbers and see what is spent on adults and compare that per children and students and see what the difference is there. Because churches, let's just let's just get down to what it really means. Churches that don't invest in students are going to die. Churches that don't see not only the short term, but the long term. And what's interesting to me is a lot of people say, well, churches don't see the big picture. They don't, they're not thinking long term. And I think that's true. However, it's also very true that churches that aren't focusing on the now, they don't see the picture now. They don't see what's right in front of them. So in other words, when they're not investing in students now and children, they're losing congregates. They're losing families because of that emphasis. And what I've seen across the board is find me a healthy church and you'll find a church that puts a a good amount of resources in the next generation in children and in students. And when you don't see that, that church eventually, if they dry up the resources from the next generation, that eventually is going to impact that church. And so churches that are doing it now are seeing a result now, but they're also seeing the result long term. And in our conversations and interactions with Fuller and with Kara Powell, we're seeing this as well, that churches, it's shown, the numbers show that when you're putting that emphasis in now, it's making a difference long term. And it's something that, Jason, it really concerns me because churches have cut back in those areas and we're seeing it across the nation, as I see in my travels, that it's impacting youth ministries now and students now. And what's happening is when you go back to the 2008 economic recession and when churches are pulling back and going, well, we can't afford to, to hire staff. I know even for my my own experience, I became a youth pastor in 2007. And in the next two years, I lost, I oversaw seven staff members and I lost pretty much all of them except for an admin. And those those staff members weren't recouped. And so what what happened was we pulled back because of the recession 
didn't have the money, didn't have the, the budget to rehire. But then what happens is to churches is going, well, now that we do have the money, we aren't reinvesting. We aren't choosing to reinvest into youth. So yeah, economic recessions happen. That was a reality. So the church can't just keep throwing money at the youth department. I totally understand that. But when, when things are good and there is giving that is abundance, then as churches, are we investing back into the youth ministry? Are we saying, okay, we have the funds. Let's start cutting back in other areas that may be fluff or really say they are important. So let's put a, a larger percentage towards that department. And whether it is hiring staff or whether it is uh, scholarships or things that need the, the youth department needs to operate in a more uh, effective way. So even though it, it, churches will pull back, are we, are we snapping back to the reinvestment? Uh, in our experience and with particularly in our ministry with NTS camp, we work with churches all over the country from all different kinds of denominations, all the way churches from like a hundred up to 15, 20,000 in size. So we're seeing a lot. And, and I'm always fascinated with the churches that we're connected to with camp and how they treat even something like a summer camp. So some churches, we have some churches that will pay 100% of every student that wants to go to camp. And then we have it everywhere in between from that to, to nothing and to no scholarships. But I remember one story of a church. It's Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And and the senior pastor stood up in front of the congregation and he said something very dramatic, but he said, he said, some students aren't going to be able to go to camp this summer because there's money in your pocket that you're not giving to help them do that. And they collected several thousand dollars. I think it was like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars that Sunday right there. And I I just want to applaud that church, that pastor, and churches like that that understand the importance of the next generation of student ministry, of children, of of youth. And I don't know what kind of church you're at, if you're listening to this, and maybe you're a youth worker and you're going, well, my church has never done anything like that. There are ways that you can help them understand how important it is. And I think those of us involved in local church ministry, we need to understand that part of our responsibility isn't just to the students, but it's to be a voice uh, to the senior leadership, to the adults, to the parents about the importance of what we're doing. So when you're treating those resources well, you're being a good manager of them, of the budget that you have and not going over and really being wise. That speaks volumes to those that that you know are above you, maybe in management in that church. And so that's important, but it's those ways that, you know that we can treat our budgets respectfully and and really stretch them and, and be creative. But when we do that, it speaks volumes, and it and it and it goes to our case for what we're doing. We're trying to help students. So, as you're thinking about this, as you're leading, make sure that you're doing what you can to help your churches in a very appropriate way, not in a negative way, not in a in a way that's usurping anyone's authority, but help them understand the importance of investing in students because if they don't, eventually their church will be on the decline and eventually it will die. See, I see a situation like this where we were uh, losing the resources for the youth ministry, but it forced me as a leader to then start relying on volunteers and students. And so, you know, we just talked to Darren Campbell and saying, hand it off to the amateurs, let them do it. And, and it, it really... Uh, 
it broadened my leadership ability to, to rely on not just staff members who are hired to do a very specific thing, but to then look at volunteer leaders to then lead up the students and allow the, the responsibilities to be placed on, on other people than those who are, are staffed. But the church that I, I worked at for a number of years, are they invest in students. They see the importance of it. They are reinvesting. It's one of those situations where it's like, yeah, we don't want to lose these students. And so we are putting more resources in. And it's not happening through just volunteers or just students. You still have to have uh, somebody who is leading the charge. And, um, and so when churches go in the, the flux of budgets and there's money there, or there's not money there, as leaders, we, we, we have to navigate through that. But, um, but as a church, are we saying it's important to still invest in it and not have that department be chopped off from the budget because we don't have the, the income coming in? And I'll, I'll say here at the end that I've had a really interesting journey in the last few months. So I spent about 20 years in local church youth ministry, either part-time or full-time. And then I stepped away to launch this organization in 2009. And then just in the last few weeks, I've re-entered youth ministry in a local church in a, an official capacity at the church that I've, that I formerly worked at. And, um, and so been on this journey week to week with students in ministry again, after eight years of being out of it, so to speak, on, on a regular basis, more traveling and that. But in the last few weeks, to jump back into it, to be a part of a church that is putting the emphasis into the next generation, it's been really exciting and eye-opening. And, and I want to encourage you, whatever your role might be, you might be listening to this and you're volunteer leader or part, full-time, maybe a parent, but get involved and be engaged in your church and be a voice for those students and help your church really understand the importance of keeping that high value for children and students. And we've been talking about budget, and I really do think that's where the rubber meets the road. If, if churches are investing in that, it shows that they care, but obviously it goes beyond that as well. So help your church understand how to keep engaged, not just with the budget, in other ways as well. And as Darren mentioned, get, get those students, get them involved in what we call big church a lot of times in youth ministry. Get them not just up in front of the students, but up in front of the congregation so that they can understand um, the importance of connecting those generations and not waiting, treating them, like Darren said, like kids and throwing them in the car seat, but allowing them to really lead. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.